So Mark's gospel, we're journeying through that. We're now in our, I think, our fourth or fifth week of it. Um, we started in this gospel. We, we learned in week one that gospel is a, is a word for what? Good. One, okay, good, good. Good. You rallied. Thank you, 1130 service. I thought only one of you knew the answer. Yeah, it's good news. Gospel is the good news. And we learned that the gospels, there are four of them in the Bible, uh, and they're all the same story from a different person. The gospel, the good news according to Matthew, the good news according to Mark, the good news according to John. I don't know if you're, we got some, maybe some brand new Christians. If you read through Matthew and you go back into Mark, you're going to find, hey, this sounds like the same story because it is. It's just from a different perspective. And we're looking at the perspective or story or gospel about Jesus according to Mark. And we have been tracking along and we found out that, that, that John the Baptist preceded uh, Jesus. And then Jesus came and he was baptized by John the Baptist, went out of the wilderness. Uh, and then last week we found out, I think Pastor Adam did such a great job talking about the calling of the disciples and how we should respond to the voice of Jesus immediately. Uh, but we found out Jesus assembles his team and now we come to this point in the Gospel of Mark where, where we can go no further unless you get something and you see something. And this little story that almost seems inconsequential and maybe out of place, but you need to know something about the Bible and you need to know something about the Gospels, is there's nothing in there that's not there for a reason. And it's there strategically and systematically, and there's a, there's a purpose to why Mark placed that here. And I believe he wants us to see it for what it is, because what this occurrence does is give light to the rest of the gospel. It lets you see Jesus as Mark wants you to see him, but also the world that you and I live in as Mark wants us to see it. Uh, it's almost reminded me as I was reading it of that scene in the, in the, in, in the Matrix. Anybody ever see the movie The Matrix? Oh, my goodness, y'all. If you go watch The Matrix, it's it, maybe not, but there's that scene where Morpheus sits down with Neo, and Neo's been searching things out, and then he sits him down, and he says, okay, I'm about to tell you the truth. Your mind's going to be blown. You're going to see something you can never unsee. You're going to learn something you can never unlearn. You ever have one of those moments where you, where you learn something you can never unlearn? It just changes everything? It happened to me Friday night. I'm laying in bed beside my wife, and my wife, out of nowhere, just interrupts the silence I'm reading because I haven't watched TV since this 21-day fast, and... It's amazing how much time you have when you cut out TV and social media. It's incredible. I have banged out so many books this last 21 days. But I'm sitting there reading, and she goes, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, what? She goes, you, the, my, my mind is blown. I will never be the same. And I go, what? What happened? She goes, did you know that green peppers and red peppers are the same pepper? Did you know that? It's like, dude, did you go to school? I did not know that. I assumed there was a red pepper tree and a green pepper tree and a yellow pepper tree. Apparently, it's all one pepper in varying degrees of ripeness. And I just lost all of you who already knew that. You're like, this guy's the teacher. Great. Great. No, we have one of those moments. It's like Morpheus before Neo saying, okay, if you take this one, you take the blue pill, you go back to sleep and pretend this never happened. You take the red pill, we're going to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. I can't do a Lawrence Fishburne impression, but we'll see how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering you is the truth. I feel like that's what's going on here in this story in the Gospel of Mark. We find out that Mark places the scene in this town called Capernaum. And it's this little seacoast town in Israel and a small little synagogue. A synagogue was like the Jews' church. This is where they gathered. They gather on a Saturday because that's when the Sabbath is. And it tells us that they're in this church service. And I want you to just get a picture of how ordinary this would be. Oh, the lights are coming on. Look at this. 
Look at this. I'm going to sit right here. Look. Tracy. I need to honor you. I didn't, you picked the wrong spot, girl. You did. That, no one knows. This is, this is Tracy. She's my assistant, actually, and she runs this church. It's amazing. But, uh, and she turns red at everything. But Tracy, I see conversations in our future. I want to just to get a picture of just how ordinary this is. Mark says that they're, they're gathered in a regular service, and they're in the synagogue, and this guy, Jesus, shows up. That, that, you know, to them, they're like, okay, this new teacher is in town. This, apparently this guy, Jesus, his legend is starting to spread a little bit, but no one really knows who he is. And it's just kind of this regular service on this regular day. And, you know, Tracy's sitting in her regular seat and Jody's in her regular seat and, and, and Sandy's in her regular seat and everyone sits in there. You know how, you know, like we sit in our seats that you showed up and a new person came and you're like, hey, you're in my seat, right? Just imagine they're in this church service and everyone's kind of doing their normal thing and they're singing the song and, and, and then all of a sudden this guy Jesus gets up and he starts to speak and suddenly, it says suddenly, like this crazy interruption where like the light just came on and this dude stands up, Jim, Jim the plumber, and he's, it's not Jim talking, but it's an evil spirit, the Bible says, and the evil spirit is, is, is speaking out to Jesus. Now, can you just, again, Mark wants us to see a couple things, and, and we'll end with this revelation. I, I don't want you to miss, and this struck me, of just how quickly Jesus controlled it and took, took control of it and, and was authoritative over it, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But what really struck me is how this ordinary day with these ordinary people in this ordinary place, all of a sudden Jesus shows up and it's no longer so ordinary. Now there's, it's like the veil has been removed and they're seeing something that was there all along, but they didn't have eyes to see it. This kind of hidden reality that until Jesus showed up, they, they just were oblivious to. And then all of a sudden, because Jesus shows up, they, they now see something. I wonder like, like how long, I, I don't know why Jim the plumber was possessed, that's, that's too bad, um, but I wonder how long, like, did he go to that service, and how long was that demon spirit sitting in church every single week, and, and it made me ask the question, like, I wonder what hidden hindrances are in our lives, I wonder what, just, like, regular things that are happening in our life, we say, oh, that's just life, or that's just luck, or that's just a season, or that's just a phase, or that's just this or that, and I wonder if, if, if we flipped the lights on and we had a moment where Jesus kind of got close enough, if we would start to see things maybe with a different perspective and we might have eyes to see what Mark wants us to see today. And that is this, that there is a hidden reality to your world right now. And whether you realize it or not, there are powers and things at play and at work fighting. There is one power fighting for you, and there are powers and principalities fighting against you. And you might have some things in your life right now that God wants you to wake up to. This is what Mark wants us to do. He doesn't want us to go any further. He doesn't want you to be thinking about Jesus the wrong way, first and foremost. I know Jesus has disciples, and now he's starting his ministry. He doesn't want you to think, though, that Jesus just came to teach you some good stuff. He is not Tony Robbins. He did not come here to give you six quick tips and how-tos how to make your life better. He did not come here to give you life hacks. He did not come here to give you a new roadmap or manual. He came here to bring you life and life to the full, and he came here to conquer the devil and his works. And so Mark wants you to see, first and foremost, don't look at this man, Jesus, as just another great man. This is, don't lump him in with Gandhi. Don't lump him in with MLK. 
their great human man, this is something altogether different. And Mark wants you to see not just Jesus in a different light, but he wants you to actually look at your life and ask yourself the question, maybe there are some hidden hindrances at work sitting alongside of me that I have been blissfully unaware of that Jesus wants to reveal and deal with. Maybe there's some stuff that I've just been calling circumstantial that's a little bit more than circumstantial. Maybe that thing your teenager's going through isn't just a phase. Maybe that thing that, that you're constantly bumping up against debt, constantly bumping up against financial losses, and it seems like you're always behind the eight ball and underwater. Maybe there's more going in than just some bad luck. Maybe there's a hidden hindrance that's, that's part of this. I think what Mark wants us to wake up to today, and this is what I want us to wake up to and stay woke to, I want us to wake up first and foremost to the fact that you have a real, true, tangible enemy of your soul. You have an enemy, and you need to wake up to your true enemy. Your enemy is not debt. Your enemy is not the weather. Your enemy is not uh, body, bodily illness. Your enemy is not your ex-wife. Some of you are like, you don't know my ex-wife, bro. No, your enemy is not carbohydrates. Yes, it is. Get behind me in Jesus' name. No, your, your enemy, your enemy is not, it is not something that you are so easily able to just touch. In fact, your enemy is, it's actually the thing behind the thing. There's the stuff that you think is the fight. But, but, but Mark wants you to see, and, and the rest of the Bible backs it up. Uh, Ephesians 6 says, hey, hey, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is, it's not against the rain that is coming into my basement. Anybody? Thursday night? Yeah. Fun night, right? It is not against the rain. It is not against... The battle is not about my house. The battle is not about how many dollars I have or don't have. There is a battle in the spirit going on all the time. It manifests itself in the physical world, but you need to understand something about the things that you're going through. You have an enemy, a real, actual enemy, he, he, and he, he is attacking you in places that aren't, it's deeper than the physical, it's deeper than the emotional, it's deeper than the intellectual, it's deeper than the relational, it is spiritual in nature, and it is at the root of everything. And Mark actually wants you to see that, and he wants you to put that lens on and start looking at your circumstances and situations. Like maybe you have an addiction that you can't seem to get over. Like you have an alcohol addiction, and, and maybe Mark wants you to see it from a different lens, that it's more than just maybe some, a, a bad season or, you know, I've been weak this season. Maybe it's a generational thing that your dad and your dad's dad and your dad's dad's dad struggle with it, and maybe there's a hidden hindrance in there that's got its grip on your family that God actually wants you to see with a different light. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's despair. Maybe it's shame. Maybe for some reason you can't seem to get that thing that happened to me way back here, way back when. You can't shake it. And when you think it's gone, you realize it's not gone. Maybe there's something more than just a wound. Maybe there's a hidden hindrance that keeps putting its finger in it. I wonder if there aren't hidden hindrances in your life today that God actually wants you to see. I think there are, I think there are many circumstances and situations. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that any of you are possessed. This isn't, especially if you're a believer, you can't be possessed by the spirit and possessed by the devil at the same time. A house divided will not stand. But you are naive to think that the devil is not working at you and on you all the time. 
you have an enemy and you need to realize it. You need to recognize it. You need to wake up to it. And I came today just to wake some of us up to the fact that there's more going on in your life. There's more going on in your marriage. There's more going on in your home. Look, there's more going on in St. John and New Brunswick and Canada in this world. There's more going on than just what you see and feel and can quantify. There are spiritual forces behind it all, and God wants to wake his church up to that reality. And God wants you to see your home and to see your marriage and to see your household with that lens. Because once you start to see that, you're going to see the rest. And we'll talk about the rest in a second. But you first and foremost have to have eyes to see and wake up to your real enemy. There is an enemy of your soul that is trying to destroy you. You need to know his desire. The Bible doesn't give us a ton of details about Satan and demons and the devil. We don't have a ton about it. I think partially because you really don't need to know the details about him. And about them. The Bible tells us it's pretty obscure. It's in Ezekiel. It tells us that Lucifer was one of the the three primary angels, one of the three most glorious beings. And he was actually the worship leader in heaven. And then he was so consumed by his own beauty that he actually began to want worship himself. And that's idolatry. And he was cast down from heaven. The Bible says that he took a third of the angels with him. And subsequently, we have been brought into a war zone. And what we find in Genesis 3, if we had time to look at it today, is humanity gave the enemy the keys to creation. And that is why we live in a broken and fallen world. And we are still dealing with this fact. And you've got to understand something, that the devil is out to deceive you, to keep you. Like in in, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says that he's trying to uh, obscure the knowledge of God. He's trying to deceive you from the truth. He's trying to hide and conceal the truth. He wants you to live with blinders on, with visors on. He wants you to see just half the picture. He's trying to defile you. He wants you to, to, to be just a, a fraction of yourself, of what God called you to. He wants you to be weak. He wants you to be flawed. He wants you to be dysfunctional. He wants disease and decay to mark your life, your soul, your mind, your body. He wants it to break and crumble, ultimately leading to your destruction. He is trying to destroy you, and you need to wake up to this fact. This is going on, whether you realize it or not. I I think those people in Capernaum, I don't think they realized that that Jim had a demon. (laughs) Until Jesus shows up and turns the lights on and said, oh, that right there, that's getting out of here. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert. Wake up. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You got to look out. You got to watch out. You need to know what he's after. Recognize you have an enemy. And and here's what he's targeting. The mistake we often make is we think that that the devil is attacking us in, in the physical He might be using physical circumstances, but make no mistake about it, he is not attacking you in the the physical. He's attacking you in the spirit. Like like if you were like me on Thursday night, out building a trench to keep your basement from flooding, anybody? Pulling up carpet and drying it out. You know, the, the, the simple and incorrect way for me to think about that, and I had to fight this, was that the devil's trying to ruin my house. The devil doesn't care about my house. The devil doesn't care about my money. The devil doesn't care about any of my stuff. He doesn't care about my body. He doesn't care about my mind. He's not after, he, he, he's not after my house. What he is after is my peace. And so he will use my house 
to get at my peace. I'm helping somebody. Because you got to realize when he is attacking you, he's never actually after that front. The front is just where you feel the clash, but there's actually something he's trying to get at that's behind that. Like if you're under financial pressure and you came to church and you started tithing because you read the word and it says, hey, give the first to God. And you said, you know what, I'm going to trust God. And now on the back end of that, you're like, okay, where's all the money going to come from? And, and then all of a sudden you get, you, your, your car breaks down, you got this payment to do and all, and, and all hell's breaking loose. The devil is not after your car or your car payments. He's after your trust. Can you trust God? See, you can almost attach a string to the, from the front of the battle back to the actual target. You need to understand the things that the devil is actually going after. He wants to ruin your character. That's what he's after. He wants you to fall short of the glory of God. He wants you to fall short of who God's called you to be. He wants you to fall short of the life and wholeness and holiness and joy that God has said my sons and daughters will experience this. That's what he's after. He's, he's trying to rob your kill, character. He's trying to take away from your calling. Do you know that there is a potential in us that is God-appointed and God-ordained? Sometimes you need to think about that. Like, like, what is God's idea of me? You know, I'm like a, I'm like a, you're like a Lego box. And like, as your life is going God is building up these pieces, and you are becoming something amazing. The Bible says that God leads us from glory to glory, strength to strength, ever increasing. Like, ever stop and think about the, the final version of you? Like, the 2,000-year the, the, the version of you or the 4,000? You know you're eternal, and if you're in Christ, you will live forever and ever and ever, being refined by his glory all the time. Can you ever think about, like, how amazing you will be in the likeness of Christ forever and ever? Here's what the devil is trying to do to keep you from that. He is trying to lock you into those same habits, the same dysfunctions, the same mindsets, all the same struggles. He wants to lock you right here because eternity is moving forward and he wants you to stay stuck right there. To miss your calling. To miss the meaning and purpose and things that God has set before you. And God has set things before you for you to experience and enjoy. And he's trying to destroy that. He's trying to rob your confidence. He's trying to make life an extra scary place to convince you that, you know what, the other shoe is going to fall and that bad thing happened and now that means more bad things are going to happen. And yes, we live in a fallen world, but the devil wants you to focus on the fallen. The devil wants you to focus on what's broken. The devil wants you to live a life of a glass half empty or even empty all the way. He wants you to live where I can't trust God. I can't trust others. I've got to take things into my own hands and be that person who's, who doesn't, doesn't easily trust anything and you assume the worst. You ever have that voice pop into your head that says something bad's going to happen? That's not the voice of the Spirit of God. It is just not. There are no pessimists in heaven. None. Nobody in heaven's like, well, this is going to end poorly. None. It's just not the spirit of God. The enemy is after your confidence. I also find this. Let me know if you've experienced this before. I also find he's after my contentment. Man, he loves to, to bring my contentment, like, like to, to rob me of my joy. You know, Thursday night out digging a trench from my house thinking, I bet my neighbors aren't taking in water. I bet you their house isn't. Right? Anybody? Oh, don't judge me. You loved your house until you saw your friends, right? You loved, you thought you had the best car until your friend drove the better car. Like, oh, my car sucks. 
right? That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to take your eyes off the goodness of God and how everything in your life has been a good and perfect gift to, to you from the Father. You thought your kids were great until you realized that their kids are way better behaved than mine, right? Like, he, the enemy wants you to look at other things and covet them. Why? Because comparison robs your joy. And the enemy wants to draw you away from the contentment that comes from knowing God. He wants you to think, if I just had more money, if I just did this, if I just had a better job, if I just got that boat, if I just got that house, if I just had that girl, then I'll feel better. And he, will, he is happy for you to consume temporal things all for eternity because you can eat as much temporary stuff and, and temporal things as you want. It will never fill the eternal hole in your soul. He's trying to rob your contentment. You need to wake up today to the fact that you have an enemy. You need to understand his tactics. What's he trying to do to you? First and foremost, he's trying to make you deny that he even exists. Like I know right now I'm talking about Satan and the devil and demons. And there is a voice in your mind, if you're like me, saying, really? Really? Anybody? Yeah, I will say that's, that's an, it's extra, the voice is even louder in the West. I would say for the first time in human history, Western, you know, our Western culture has dismissed the idea of evil more than anywhere else. And if you, you even fly across the ocean, you head to Africa, Asia, they aren't, they aren't as maybe dismissive of the fact that there are spirits at work and at play. And the enemy has succeeded largely in causing our culture to shut off that whole component of our brain and to make us look at only what we can touch and taste and feel. But there are spirits, there is a spiritual reality, and his number one tactic is to get you to believe he doesn't exist. Do you ever think it's a good starting point in following Jesus to believe what Jesus believed? Do you know that Jesus believed in the devil and demons? He believed in spirits. So it's really tough to follow Jesus and say, well, yeah, I don't believe the whole devil and hell part, right? Yeah, Jesus is the Lord of everything, but come on. The devil, really? Like, what's next? Is Ultron going to come back and the Avengers are going to form and they're going to fight him too? Like, really, the enemy loves to use that mocking voice. It's, it's one of his primary tactics to get you to live in denial, to deny he even exists. That's what uh, C.S. Lewis, and he's one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite Christian authors. You can't go wrong. Read anything by him. Uh, he has a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in The Screwtape Letters, it's just kind of this allegory where he, he's writing from the perspective of a, of a senior demon to a junior demon as they're trying to just destroy this guy's life. And, and the senior demon's giving the junior demon tips on how to attack him. And it's really interesting and really well done. And it's interesting at the end, there's a writer's note, and he said, I actually would never do this again and never recommend it because where my head went was such a dark space that I do not recommend thinking like demons think. But he did this for us, and it was really helpful. And look at one of these things. Just imagine this conversation from a senior demon to a junior demon after you. He says this, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. I do not think you will have much difficulty keeping your patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination should help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, this is an old textbook method of confusing them, 
He therefore cannot believe in you. Get him to think of something so laughable that he will just dismiss it all outright and he will remain in the dark to the hidden hindrances that are currently in his life affecting things. See, the enemy wants to start off with denial, but if he can't get you to denial, and I believe in today that some of you are waking up right now to the fact that there are hidden hindrances in your life that God wants you to spot and see, and you, can, you, you must stop believing and living and acting as though there is no devil. We have to stop that as the church. We have to stop being practical atheists, feeling helpless and looking at the world as though, well, guess crap happens, Right? Stuff does happen that is beyond our control. And I'm not saying you can control your circumstances. I'm not saying bad things don't happen to good people. But there, we must, as the church, stop looking at, this, at things that God is saying. There is a spiritual issue behind that, and you've got to see it. And so you're waking up from your denial. You need to realize that's his number one tactic. If he can't convince you that he's not there, he'll, he'll try to deceive you. He'll distort the truth. He'll corrupt the knowledge of God. He'll try to think you that God's word, you know, try to get you to think that God's word's not that important, that his commandments aren't that important, or, get, or he'll confuse them, or bring in false doctrine. He'll try to pull you off the truth any way he can. He'll use distraction. How many of you know the devil is very, very clever? He's way, way smarter and smoother than you think he is. And I've been learning that even this past year. I found myself fighting on the wrong front multiple times, thinking I was doing God's work and fighting for God, and all the while getting my butt kicked by the devil in a whole other area. I'll, I'll tell you one story. I was at a, I was at a board meeting um, in our denomination that we're affiliated with, and I was at the table, and it, it, it just went sideways. And I found myself fighting uh, about 10 people about our church and me and what I believe God was doing, and it just went sideways, and it got funky, and I mean, it almost, I challenge you to a duel. We aren't doing that. Like, it was not, f like, fighting, fighting, but it was, it was like a, it was a heated exchange, and, and I fought, and I fought, and I, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to believe that, that I, I don't back down super easily from that stuff, and so I just, I went at it. I was, like, defending what God is doing. I was defending our church and defending what, what I believe God's said about us. And, and just, and, and I'm, I'm going to win this. And I fought for about an hour and a half. And then after I left, I just felt icky. And I felt tired. And driving home, I just shut everything off and just was listening. I felt the Lord just say, see, you thought you were fighting for me. And you thought you were doing the right thing, fighting this out here. But in actual fact, what you were really doing was you were fighting for your right to be right. And you went way, way, way past what I was asking you to do. And now you were fighting for you. And the devil deceived you. And he took you into a whole other arena. And that's what he will do. I guarantee you right now, there are things that you think the devil's fighting you over here. And he's way over here actually going after something altogether different. He'll distract you. He'll use things to distract you, to keep you off his actual target. He, is, he has been in this war for a while, and he knows how to get to you, and he knows how to expose your weaknesses. He knew I would see red, and he knew I would get up and get after it, and I would flip a table if I had to, as long as he could get me to a place where I would compromise my character and lose my patience. That's what he's after. Am I helping somebody? He distracts you. And then ultimately, if he can't distract you, if he can't deceive you outright, if he can't get you to live in constant denial, his final and most probably prevalent play for you as a believer is he'll try to get you to live in, in, in discouragement. Discouragement. He'll try to get you to live in fear. He'll try to, to actually make you think that he should be feared. 
and that the world is a scary place and that life is a scary place. And, and I would argue without Jesus, it is. But he will try to absolutely terrorize and terrify you once you wake up. And, and I'm going to help some people because you're going to leave here today. And, and if you leave here today feeling afraid of the enemy, you're, you're missing what I'm about to tell you. But I will say it is very possible when you come awake to the fact that there is a devil and there are spirits and they are out to get you. That is a scary revelation and he will use a foothold of fear because what you fear the most is your God. And I was uh, about 15 years old. And I won't get into details, but I was at a, at, a, at a summer camp. I was in a cabin with a bunch of guys. Uh, we were sleeping and we had... I'll say this, we had a, an encounter that I went from being a church kid who grew up in church, we talked about the devil, we talked about demons, but more in a, you know, the same way we talk about the Apostle Peter. We don't think he's here. Oh, yeah, yeah, the devil. Oh, yeah, right? Like, that's the... And then I had an experience that flipped the lights on, kind of like that group in Capernaum, and all of a sudden... This world, that this bubble that I was living in, that this world is a safe place and that this world is just what I can see and touch and taste and feel and smell, all of a sudden that bubble burst in fine style and I now was awake to a world uh, where the devil was real and spirits were real and I felt their hate for me and I felt the darkness of it and I felt the heaviness of it and I could not deny it and instantly the world became a very scary place for me uh, in my mid-teen years. And I was, I was probably five, six years, about 19 before I started seeing any victory in this. And I mean, I had night terrors. I had episodes in the daytime. I just all kinds of stuff where I was experiencing just demonic attack. And I, I, it was so bad for me that throughout my entire teen years, like sleeping, I, would, I just couldn't sleep well. And I, and I would sleep in the fetal position and even to this day, I can't sleep on my back. Not because I'm scared anymore. It's just it's not comfortable to me because you do something for six years. That becomes the way that you sleep, right? And I actually believe that the reason I was attacked so much was uh, the enemy didn't want me to be standing here right now. Um, here I am. But uh, I had a foothold of fear, and the world was a dark and scary place. And it was as though I had half of the revelation it's like I had one eye open, and the other eye was still closed to what I needed to see. And as I became older, and I got to be about 18, 19 years old, I started to learn how to call on the name of Jesus in those moments. And I started to find out that there is power in Jesus' name. And that for every attack of the enemy, Jesus is overwhelming victory. Like for every single attack, like every spiritual attack, every spiritual opposition, I started to find out that as the enemy would come against me, as I came back at him with the name of Jesus, things were breaking off. And I was, I was getting more and more confident to the point where God corrected a misinterpretation in my mind. See, I, I, thought, I thought coming through that that like, you know, the devil is Yvonne Drago and, and, and Jesus is Rocky Balboa and it's going to be close, right? Like anybody ever feel like that? 
Like, yeah, you know, and, and, and to some degree it's true that there's this cosmic clash of good and evil and light and dark, and that is really happening. But it is a fallacy and a misunderstanding of Scripture, and what Mark wants you to see today is that it is not an equal contest. It is not like Jesus is the Avengers and the devil is Ultron. Or who's the guy with the fist, with the things? Thanos. Yeah, he's way scarier than Ultron. Yeah, it's not like the devil is Thanos and, and, and Jesus is Iron Man and he's going to win in the end, but it's going to be close. Like, that's not what happens at all in the Bible. In fact, as you begin to read this in Mark chapter 1, I want you to note what happens. Bring that back up because today we're going to wake up not just to the enemy, but you're going to wake up to your victory. And I want you to see this in Mark chapter 1. The demons start speaking and then what happens? Jesus goes, oh, hey, shut up. Be quiet. You can leave. And then what does Mark say? The devil spoke back and threw a left hook. And, and it, got, it went to the ninth and tenth round. And then Jesus was down for the count. And he got back up and he fought again. It doesn't say any of that. It was really anticlimactic. Do you notice? Like the guy fell down and the demon left. And everyone's like, whoa, that was crazy. Why? Because Jesus has complete and absolute authority over the enemy. And he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. First John says it. Yeah, he came to, to take your sin and to give you forgiveness and to give you mercy. And to, but ultimately, he came to put the devil under his foot. He came to destroy the works. First John 3, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians tells us he did that. You know, he was doing that on the cross, right? It wasn't just for him to show how much he loves you, although he was. It wasn't just for him to pay the price of your sin and debt, although he did. It was also the very spot that he said, Satan, do your worst. Take your best shot. Unload the clip. Go ahead. And that's what it means in Colossians chapter 2 when it says, For he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them on the cross, rising in victory. It means that, that the enemy already unloaded the clip. He has been defanged. He's got dentures. But doesn't have the dentures, just the gums. My grandfather had the gums. It was a freaky thing to see. He used to scare me. The third service. You never know what I'm going to say. He used to like stick his bottom denture out at me. He's like, ah, I don't do that. The devil has been defanged. So here, listen, wake up to your enemy. Do not go home and start seeing your situations the way, the old way. But you need to wake up to this fact that for every attack of the enemy, Jesus is overwhelming victory. And I've seen it in my life. The, the things where I would dare to step in and say, in Jesus' name, when I start to recognize when the devil is coming at me, I've seen it over and over again. It is not a power struggle. It's over. It is over. Happened last night. My wife, this is funny. You're going to judge me for this. I preached this Saturday night. And I, last night, went to bed. And my son has, both my sons have huge tonsils and just chronic, like, nasal drip and infection. And, and anyway, my, my, my littlest guy is set to get his tonsils out too now. And it helped my oldest son. But long story short, my, my, both my sons and now my youngest son are like chronic coughers at night. And now, for, fortunately for my little guy, he sleeps through it. Great for him, right? 
But for me, like, and so last night he just goes into these hacking fits. And I'm laying there 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm freaking living on vegetables. i got to preach two more times. i got to do night of worship. i got a meeting at 8 o'clock afterwards. I'm not going to make it. And my wife could hear me getting agitated. She goes, listen to your own dang sermon and get in there and pray for the boy. So I got up, and I went into his room. I put my hand on his little head, and I said, in Jesus' name, there will be rest tonight for him and for his dad in the name of Jesus. And I went back into my room. I'm pretty sure he stopped, but if he didn't, I went to sleep, and I had a great sleep after that. And all I'm saying is this. You have to start. We have to start learning. I'm not, y'all, there's not a demon under every rock. And if you don't get the parking spot at Walmart that you were looking for, the devil's not trying to attack you. You know, if you lose your job, that might not have been the devil. You might just suck. <laughs> but we got to start looking at the life a little different. It might have been the devil. It may have been an attack. And you need to understand, and I, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to live like there's a demon under every rock. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm done living like there's not, uh, not demons under some. Because there are. And I believe that God, that God wants the church to rise up and learn how to stand in victory. He actually wants you and I to see when the enemy's doing something and to step in and say, not, not in my house, not in my marriage, not in my family, not with my kids, not with my money. He actually wants us to learn how to stand in there and say, this is my space. And when Jesus told me all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and he told me to therefore go in that authority, I have that authority. He said, you will step on the head of serpents. You will cast out demons. He was saying that to us, like that we're going to do that. And so I, I want to encourage you that God wants you to learn how to stand in victory. He wants you to learn how to start taking thoughts captive. Getting a new perspective on things for every attack of the enemy. Jesus is the victory. So when, when the enemy comes and he attacks your character, what do you do? You don't get back and state your accomplishments to the devil saying, oh, yeah, well, uh, I'm good at Fortnite. Right? You don't do that. What do you do? You say, no, you know what? The things you said about me, that, that thing that you're trying to make me feel ashamed of and condemn me about, that was my old life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. And so, uh-uh, right? What about confidence? When he attacks your confidence, saying, hey, it's going to be bad for you. How can I think that things are going to be bad for me? When Jesus did not spare his own, he didn't even hold back his only son from me. How much more along with him will he not also give me all things? I have reason to be confident. You can't shake my confidence. I look at the cross on an empty grave and says, I have utmost reason to be confident. He's coming again. For every attack of the enemy, he is the victory. This is what Paul meant by taking every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, our, our, we, we, although we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, everyone say on the contrary. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we have, look at this, we demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ, submit to Jesus. That's what we do. And so you've got to learn 
how to stand in that place and in the authority of Jesus, start speaking to the things like he did. Say, be quiet and come out. You need to learn that. You need to learn the weapon of worship. Some of you need to learn how to worship. You need to learn the fact that this is the most aggressive thing you can do in the spirit. That's a weapon, man. That's why David was the, mo the most ferocious warrior king. He, he, yeah, he knew how to slay a giant, and he literally cut a big guy's head off. Like, this guy could fight. But the Bible says he was great, not because of that, but because he knew how to worship. He was a worshiper. I've seen that, just the power of praise to shift an atmosphere. I, I taught my, my, my oldest son. He was having night terrors. And I remember I, I taught him when he was about four years old. He was having night terrors. And I told him, hey, just do this, bud. If you feel that or you see something in your room or you feel things, and some of the things kids say to you is freaky, right? And I said, if you see something in your room, you just start singing Jesus Loves Me. And you watch, you watch what happens. You're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change everything. And I got woken up one night um, back in our old house several, about four years ago. And I could feel a weight and a darkness and, a, and a, a, a heaviness in my home. And I got up and I went into the hall and I was about to start to pray. And I could hear my four-year-old son singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. I'm telling you what, as that little boy and that little voice started saying that big, big word, I could feel the atmosphere in my home shift. You can feel it. There is legitimate, real, chain-breaking, darkness-dispelling, demon-shaking, earthquaking power in the name of Jesus. There really is. And I asked the Lord, hey, God, God, okay, I didn't want to preach on this today, just full disclosure. I funner texts to talk about. And I was like, all right, Lord, I felt you wanted me to talk about this today and to preach from that text. And I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to, like, call people forward and I'll lay hands and, and we'll pray, you know, for deliverance in certain areas. And some of you, you need that. Some of you have some bondage and some things that you need agreement over. And I asked God, do you want to do that? And, it's like, and I felt the Lord say, it's not that I, I, wanted, I don't want to do that, but that's not really what I want you to do, son. I felt him say, I want you to raise an army. I want you to raise an army. I want your church, I want your family here to learn how to, in faith, stand in the place of victory in Jesus. That you at your business, when it feels like everything's coming at you and your, your, your last little bit of sanity is about to pop in that moment that you learn how to stand in your place and take your thoughts captive, identify the way the enemy is coming at you. And even if you can't change your external circumstances, there is a barrier that you're able to say in Jesus' name, my soul and my spirit and my mind and my emotions are off limits. Be quiet and get out. I felt like God wanted me to call some of you parents who you've got a kid going through a phase or a season and God's saying, hey, listen, I want them to come through that too, but you're going to have to get up and stand in some agreement over them and plead the blood of Jesus over them. And it's going to take some prayer and some, and some getting after it in the spirit to start seeing things shift. And I feel like I need to call some of you. God's trying to raise up an army. He wants you to actually learn in that moment when the enemy is trying to dig up that old hurt and that old habit and that old shame, in that moment to actually look back and speak the cross to it and watch it break. And so I'm going to pray for us. And I wonder if, I wonder if God is not stirring in our church, not just as individuals, but as, as, as 
married couples, those of us who are married as parents, as a family, I'm wondering if he's not calling us to say, you know what, I'm done sitting by the sidelines saying, I guess I'm just going to be a victim to the forces of this world when God has given me authority to stand up and say, not in my house, not in my family, not in my marriage, not in my town, over my dead body. I am standing up and standing my ground. Jesus already died for me and I'm standing in that place of victory and I'm going to start taking up my place. And so I'm going to pray and here's what I want to do. If God is stirring in your heart to say, okay, I, I hear and I want to see things differently and Lord, I'm standing up. I don't, I, I, I'm on weak knees, but I'm going to just stand in your victory and I'm going to start standing in my place and believing, God, that you're going to actually start chasing out the darkness that's been sitting up next to me. And some of those old things that have just been hanging on, we're going to start attacking it in the spirit and seeing what happens. And if God is stirring that in your spirit, as I pray, why don't you just stand? Don't just stand right now, but why don't you stand and just say, Lord, here I am. I Enlist me. I, I am no longer sitting here as a victim. I am coming into victory in Jesus' name. And so, Father, today, if, if you feel that today, you can stand too. But, Father, today, we come to you and we just thank you for victory. Lord, thank you first and foremost for the gift of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That today, God, we are no longer going to be ignorant to the schemes of the enemy. But we're going to see things with a new, new light. When we see the things that are facing our communities. When we see the things that are facing our region. When we see the things that are coming against our family. God, we're going to look at it for more than just flesh and blood. Love. We're going to seek out and understand that there are powers and principalities of darkness that are at play. And God, we're going to see it with the eyes of the Spirit. And so, Father, I pray right now for every mom, every brother, every son, every worker, every business owner, every man, every woman right now, that you would grant us as a church the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see at the root of it there is something else going on, that we would be able to identify and expose the hidden hindrances. For the one who's dealing with anxiety, God, would you get us back to the root of it, that we would see the Spirit spiritual lies that are being sown into our mind and our heart, trying to discourage us and, to, and cause us despair. Lord, in every way the enemy is attacking, would you give us wisdom and eyesight to see it? And then, God, would you give us the faith and the grace to stand and like you, Jesus, with your word and your name on our lips, that we would actually say, be quiet and get out. And we would be people who walk in authority, and there would be a literal shift happen in our hearts, in our minds, in our marriages, in our families, in our finances, in our homes, in our city, God, I pray even as King's Church and as you mobilize the rest of your church in the city and in the region, that it would actually feel like the weight of darkness is being lifted because the church is rising up as an army. God, we just declare in this place there is an army rising up in the east in King's Church and in your church, and we will no longer sit idly by, but we are standing up and standing our ground, and we just put every devil, every demon, every curse, every witch, every hex on notice that we are no longer standing and letting you pick at us when, we got, when God has given us the authority. And so, Father, thank you today for victory. Thank you that in Christ we are more than conquerors. Thank you that right now, Ephesians 1 tells us, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, seated in victory. And so we receive it today. Encourage us, give us power and strength, and let us walk in the victory of Christ. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.